and welcome to Lit Service, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Caitlin, and I'm Chaotic Good. I'm Kristen, and I'm annoyed that you're saying that. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I would probably be either Chaotic Good or the one right next to it, Neutral. Neutral Good. I'm Cameron, and I'm Lawful Evil. (laughs) And I'm Erin, and I'm a Gryffindor. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for coming on the podcast, Erin. We have our guest, Erin Sumrall, and she's going to introduce herself. Hi, I'm Erin, and I write books. <laughs> and I, I, I'm the author of Ever the Hunted, Ever the Brave, and Once a King that comes out later this year. And I like to talk about books on Instagram, so I have an Instagram that's just Erin Summerell. She takes the most beautiful pictures ever. Ever the Hunted has a beautiful cover. They both do. I haven't read Ever the Brave yet, but I'm getting there. <laughs> it's really good. You're listening. I, I know I am. I can tell. <laughs> All right. So today we are talking about brainstorming a little bit. We're going to talk about how we choose the right characters to go with the right plot and the right stakes and the right conflicts. So how do you guys all choose the main character? I just kind of had to laugh when I saw this question because I was like, I don't know. How do I choose the main <laughs> character? I think on some projects I'm a little more organized than on others, but like the one I'm working on right now, it's a space opera heist book, but it started off as like King Arthur in space. And so I was like, I know I want Merlin to be my my main character. How do I make Merlin into a space opera person with no magic? And I was like, oh, well, she has to be a genius. And I totally lost the thread of King Arthur while I was writing. And I was like, oh, forget that. I don't want that anymore. But the main characters kind of stayed the same. So I don't know. For me, it's a very twisted tangle of evolution between... What story do I want to tell, and what character do I want to tell that story? So I have no idea. What What do you guys do? I usually look at it from a perspective of I have a plot that I know I want to tell, so then I look for the character that I think would make the most sense to to have that go. Which has its strengths and weaknesses. It has its strengths in that it makes it more easy to believe kind of what's going on, but at the same time, there's a reason why character development is usually my weakest point in the book. Um, <laughs> 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 but so, for example, I was writing a book about um, an evil academy, and I knew I wanted my protagonist to succeed but also be sympathetic. I created, well, obviously, she's going to be from a decadent court situation where she's familiar dealing with evil backstabbing people, and so it'll make sense that she can survive here. Or conversely, I'm writing my gothic horror study abroad thing. Well, so that, that one was pretty easy. It's like, well, the main character needs to be a college student because that's what we're going to do. And then, then have some interest in what, what is going to get them into Romania. So I worked at that angle. I don't know. I think I'm more, it, it's like this complex twist of ideas, but like usually I come up with a character's personality that stands out to me. So maybe I want to, I want to talk about a character that's really lonely or struggles with making friends or has some sort of, I usually come up with a weakness that I really want to explore mm-hmm. in a book, but every now and then I'll come up with the idea for a book first and then find the characters that would fit well into telling that story. It's always hard, I don't know, to yeah. like parse through your own writing process because mm-hmm. you don't. I'm not super conscious of it while I'm writing. I'm just like, oh, this would be a really cool thing to happen. And then I write it down and it gets refined later. Yeah, I agree. When I'm in the planning stages of a book, usually I have like character in brackets pretty much. And then discovery write characters. Mm-hmm. I feel like flaws are really important. And like because I tend to come at things from more of a plot perspective, I start with the plot or the big problem or the thing that needs to happen. And then I go back in and think what character would either excel in this situation or be put into the most compromising position by this situation or would have the stakes that would be most difficult in this situation. And then I write from there. But I liked what you were saying about flaws. Why do you feel like your characters, or why is that interesting to you to write about flaws? I, don't, I mean, I think that is like the basis of conflict too. 
conflict comes a lot of times when we're put up against situations that are the most difficult to deal with. And so on this book that a book that comes out later this year, I wanted to write about a character that's really, really outgoing. Because so far all my characters have been very, I think, let's say introverted or have situations in their lives where they are alone. So I wanted to write about this character that is very friendly, outgoing, but she has a situation that doesn't allow her to be that way. So she works kind of in this underground market of crime where she has to keep to herself and be very secretive. So I like that. I like the juxtaposition of personality to conflict or to, to the story. Well, I feel like that's really important. And like when you're choosing characters or when you're choosing plot or whatever else, I feel like the most poignant of conflict comes because your character is set specifically against her, their situation. Yeah. If we want to think of an example of that, a book I really, really enjoyed this uh, year was a the Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue. So good. It's really funny. But the main character, Monty, he's he's just a disaster on every front. It's uh, <laughs> it's like the early 1700s, and he's the son of a noble, but he's extremely lazy. He's not at all interested in taking over his dad's estate. His dad doesn't even want him taking over his estate. He's best friends slash in love with someone who's mixed race, so that's a problem, and he's bisexual. And then on top of that, his sister is like probably asexual and is a lot more interested in medicine than marriage. And so you have these three main characters who in every way are what their society and their setting doesn't want them to be. And so you get a lot of really cool conflict and just engaging writing from the fact that these characters are in the worst of all possible worlds for them. And it's always nice to see that end happily. So, Well, and that's not a manufactured conflict. I no, mean, yeah. just by virtue of putting those characters in that situation, there's just a who world they are. just yeah. by itself. I was thinking about, as you were talking about, like, characters who have who create conflict by virtue of the situation and how a lot of times you can create this really poignant conflict by putting the person in situation, like, this is the worst possible place for this person to be. But also kind of at the same time being that there's something about the character that means that if they can just tough it out, that they can actually thrive in that situation. Mm -hmm. example that came to mind was Shallan from Way of Kings, where we get this girl who's been confined to her family estate her entire life, but for reasons is suddenly thrown into, oh, I'm going to go try to deceive one of the most powerful women in the world and then steal from her. And it's like, oh, this is not, <laughs> this is not what my upbringing prepared me for, but it turns out she actually has talents mm -hmm. that her home life were, was stifling that she is then able actually to do. And it's like, oh, actually, you can thrive in this scenario. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're ready, player one. Yeah. Okay, I just finished this. So I was thinking about what we're talking about in terms of ready, player one, and how we have this kid that has unhealthy habits based on, I mean, his living situation and maybe is just not out a whole lot, but he has to end up saving, I would say, the world almost. In a lot of ways, yeah. I think that's a fair yeah. statement. <laughs> so... But what I found interesting when I was reading Really Clear One is that I don't think that he's actually pushed up against what we're talking about as much as other characters are. Because it all takes place in the virtual world, which mm -hmm. is what he's already a master of, is this virtual world. I think that there's a, there are a couple of different ways that you can handle this. It doesn't always have to be that your main character it has to be put in a setting that is either foreign or difficult for them. But there has to be something about your story that forces them to either overcome something or grow like in some way. Weakness. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be the setting itself. Like with The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue, just because of the way it's set up, like there is a ton of conflicts to go on. Yeah. And so if that's the kind of story you're telling, then that's awesome. However, with Ready Player One, which I actually haven't read yet, so I can't probably comment on it, but it sounds like there's probably something else he's trying to overcome. Well, he's a loner, so he does have to, you know, at the end of the book, rally the team and just have to be like the the voice of his team. 
Doesn't he end up, like, isn't part of the problem that he never really wanted to work on a team in the first place? Yeah. It's been, like, three years since yeah. I've read this, so... No, he definitely wanted to be a loner and continue to be that way, yeah. and so in the process of trying to track down the, the eggs, the Easter eggs, yeah. he has to end up forming a team with these other gunters. So, his conflict, his... His, not flaw, but his personality is, like, yeah. directly in conflict with what he has to accomplish in order to get what he wants. To defeat the crazy... Is it government or is it corporation? I can't corporation. Remember. Okay, yeah. You put the one thing that they want behind the one thing they won't do. Oh, yeah. And so we have Six of Crows, Nina, and Matthias, where it's like, uh, Matthias wants so... Nina, but that would <laughs> so be treason, romantic. so... So anyway, so that's like, you can't, that's like, we're talking about emotional conflicts. Or it doesn't get much. Yeah. Or, yeah. Well, right. Well, so Kaz is a really good example of, he's in the perfect situation for him, where there's no, there's no conflict or he's no fish out of water. This is what he does until his feelings for an edge spoilers become an issue. So. Well, and he like actively tries to make them not an issue. <laughs> it really is behind mm-hmm. the thing that he won't do. Yeah. Right. It's, yeah, it's, it's the connections make you weak. So this is the, and I will not be weak, right? That is his one thing. Yeah. Well, and there's evil. Yeah, he can't touch. Yeah, he can't touch people. Right. But that is the one thing he has to do. Yeah. So. Which you think is very clear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, I love those books. They're so good. There are lots of books where the main character is in the best situation possible and then something is introduced that either gives them a new goal that they have to get to mm-hmm. or makes it so their world changes enough that they have to change. While we're on this topic, I was going through and I was thinking, basically it sounds like a character needs to be in a position where in some way they feel like an outsider or don't belong. But then I was thinking about books like, I don't know, Illuminae or Gemina, where you have a lot of really heavy plot going on. And I was like, how are Katie and Hannah outsiders? And I was like, I don't really think they are. Like, I don't know what weaknesses they're facing of their own. They're just overcoming the fact that they're teenagers and saving everybody so i'm well sometimes it's external conflict and yeah exactly really serious very serious external external conflict yeah i'm just wondering how important is an internal conflict for a good book maybe there's an internal conflict but i can't think of it off the top of my head i mean i think that internal conflict is actually just as necessary as external but i think that every book sometimes it's not as obvious every book has what i call an emotional core and so the emotional core of the once the emotional core is fulfilled and sated of the main character, then that's when you reach resolution. So there's always something they're seeking. And sometimes it's really tightly woven into the external conflict. Yeah. And then sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's, it can be at conflict with those, with the external conflict mm-hmm. as well. Cause in Illuminae, both of them have relationship issues, issues with people that they interact with. And that's something that they end up overcoming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's their big emotional. I know that makes sense. Sometimes it's a relationship challenge. I have a character who, it's not necessarily an obvious goal in the book, but she struggles with the relationship she has with her father and that she wants to feel more accepted by him. But that is very much a subplot or just even kind of woven in and um, in subtext. Yeah. And then it comes out. But that is the emotional core of the story. I think it's a good way of thinking about a book while you're writing it, just to... I like the concept of an emotional core. It's easier, I think, to plan around something if you're like, this is at the center, and it's very small, but it's very important. Might be worth throwing in the, correct me if I'm wrong, but like the classic teenager complaint is no one understands me, which means I think it's a reason why the outsider plot is so prevalent in YA. Well, and I think a lot of what we're talking about is directly related to what kind of plot that you choose, which is kind of where we started, like how do you choose the right kind of plot for your character, right kind of character for your plot? Because if you're writing like a bring everyone together, like underdog sports team story, you're going to have probably a loner type of person as your protagonist because it's going to take a whole lot for them to get to where they can unify everyone, like in Ready Player One. Or if you have a 
a journey story or a, a hero's journey or something. You're going to choose somebody else that suits that, where their internal conflict, if you want it to complement the external conflict, you'll choose a character that will have to grow along the, the plot arc. I was thinking about, okay, so plotting and, and how you choose what kind of book you're going to write. And I taught a workshop last week to some students in Georgia. This is that I tell them to create a book profile. So track all the books that you've been reading lately and the ones that you love the most and write down what kind of plots they have. And those are probably the plots that resonate with you. And so you'll write a stronger book if you're writing something that resonates with you. So sometimes I'll start there. I'll go back and think, okay, well, what do I love? I always love a romance. Like it, there has to be some kissing in the book. Um, <laughs> is this a kissing book? Yeah. If there's not, I'm not going to read your book. <laughs> and then on top of that, I really like adventure. I like mystery. So I tend to write these amalgamations of mystery and romance and some sort of adventures involved. And I'm the same way. I really love twist books. I love mm-hmm. books where there's an, like a, a plot that you don't realize is going on until the twist happens. And then you, yes. a lot of things make sense afterwards. Oh my gosh, did you ever read The Thief? Yeah. Okay, not The Thief, but the third book. Oh my gosh, so good. <laughs> I know, right? It's like my favorite book ever. Yeah, so the good. The King of Atolia. Oh my I think gosh. that one has one of the best twists I've ever read. So personally, for me, I just love that. But I mean, there are lots of other types of books. I mean, we tend to talk about fantasy and sci-fi a whole lot. But there are types of books. Like, I think you had something about Anna and French. Yeah. Oh, I loved Anna. I really enjoyed so it. I, I'm in a YA class right now, and I... It's making me branch out and read stuff I wouldn't normally read. And I was like, I probably wouldn't normally read this, but I loved it. It was so much fun. And that, that book is so voicey. It's so voicey. It's, it's so funny. Yeah, I was just like cracking up. It felt like, I don't know. It was the book I always wanted, didn't know I wanted. And I think in certain ways, because well, hers is a contemporary romance. And so she's facing a different sort of problem than someone monsters. in like the theme. <laughs> exactly. Like it's. It's more about misunderstandings and having to get over, I don't know, the fact that the guy that she really wants to date is dating someone else and is too chicken to break up with her. And yeah, so it's just a different slew of problems that these people can be in based on where they are. Yeah, the character that you choose really matters because if you have a character that believably will do the things like that Anna does in that book, that's different than if you, because of the plot, force your character to do lots of different things. And so, I mean, there's the whole thing with YA where you're like, if they would just talk to each other, everything would be resolved. Mm. And if you can avoid that by having all of the motivations and stakes and stuff line up correctly, or like the flaw that they're trying to overcome mm. line up with what the other plot is. I'm just thinking through this, this book again, <laughs> and it's just making me really happy. Well, the um, nice thing about contemporary romance is that the conflict tends to be more emotionally based. Yeah. And there's multiple emotional conflicts, and so there's going to be multiple character arcs. Or I'd say emotional arts. Well, and the thing is, because I was thinking, you know, if St. Clair and Anna would ever just, like, talk, things would get fixed. But I was like, wait, there are lots of reasons they try and talk and they can't because of the things that are constraining them. And so, like, it wasn't a thing that bothered me at all while I was reading because I was like, this makes perfect sense why they are not talking to each other. I'm still frustrated, but it's making me want to read it and figure out why and, like, when they're going to resolve it. And so you can have communication be the problem. You just have to do it in a way where I'm like, yeah, I buy that. I get why they don't just have a three-minute conversation and hash it out. Because some things can't be solved. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a lot of emotions at play. We are going to get to the second portion of our podcast where we critique a first chapter submission. So just a quick review of how we critique. 
We'll start with about two minutes about the things that we feel like the author did well. And then the second portion, we'll talk about things that might need a second look. A short summary of our submission today is about Sissa and her brother Wilhelm, who want to move away from Sweden to America because of their difficult situation. They come across some snotty rich kids, and the girl, main character, Sissa, gets pushed down and puts her head on ice. So some things we like. I think there's some really nice language in this submission. There's a particular description of like the trees and the surrounding lake, but maybe just because I'm in a very romantic era state of mind right now, it felt extremely romantic, and I was like, that's some nice language. I agree. The setting is really beautiful and painted so well. I think that the author has excellent word choice. It's just really strong descriptors, really strong verbs. There's a really nice moment, at least that I really liked, where the main character observes that because of the time of year, I can see the lake from here, whereas at other times of the year, I can't because of the foliage. I don't think I personally have ever written or read that kind of detail, but it instantly made sense to me. There's a really good showing moment of the main character's personality. We know that they're in kind of a difficult financial situation, and she talks about how her, the thumbs of her mittens have holes in them. And if she positions her hands in just the right way, then it doesn't matter that much. And it made me feel like she's kind of a plucky, like, I can get through it type. Back to a specific wording choice. There's, this is really small, but something that always makes me happy. There's a zygma in this, so it's using two words to apply to the same descriptor. And Sissa gives, like, a hesitant smile, and the line is, expose teeth and hope. And I was just like... I get what you're saying there. I like the idea of the conflict that she can't tell this boy who's being nasty to her what she thinks of him because she's afraid to get fired. Mm-hmm. And I like that she's... A, I think like a lot of times you'll see the conflict's like, well, we don't want to attract attention, but it's like, I like that we draw the connection of, okay, no, <laughs> this is a very real consequence is that if we draw the connection of the rich kids up the block, we could be in an even worse situation. For me, I felt like the pacing was a little bit odd. We spent a whole lot of time walking through the woods and then talking about seeing the Nordstrom's, the two sunny kids on the ice, and then talking about going across the ice. It just seems like everything took a really long time. There was lots of really beautiful description and thoughts about her situation, but it felt a lot like telling. We are getting like the whole setting and the setting up of the conflict before we're actually in the story. Mm-hmm. I think in general, there's there's just a, there's a lack of urgency. Mm-hmm. We get the situation where, well, they're on the brink of starvation constantly, but, but then it undercuts itself by saying, well, we're hungry, but not so hungry that I'm going to sell my dress material for food. So it, it just lacks a, why are we, why are we reading about this moment now? It feels like they've been in this circumstance for a long time. We get details that they've been in this circumstance for a long time. It's like, so why, why now? What, what about this moment makes it the place to start out? I think that I really like that it started with a goal just from the very first segment of the chapter. So we know that they want to go to America, but then I, I felt the rest of the chapter kind of didn't come into conflict with that necessarily. It was almost like they presented the goal a little too early. And each chapter should almost feel like its own, should have its own arc. There should be a goal, there should be some rising action, a climax of conflict, and then a tiny bit of resolution before you go on to the next chapter. And so I felt like the presented goal and the presented conflict didn't quite align, and so it felt like a little mismatch. We know, so we know that they're going out to get firewood, yeah. but that I mean that is completely disassociated with the idea that we need to go to we want to go to America, right? It, it only it, the like like this is what our goal is to go get firewood, and that is the the convenient vehicle for we're going to ex- exposit a whole bunch about what we want to do and where we are, and it's also going to be convenient for us to run into the rich kids. There, there, there's no there's no tension in the moment. It's all about it's all about things that are wrong elsewhere. But here we're just kind of going. That's kind of what we call maiden butler dialogue, where you have at the beginning of a play, you have the maid and the butler say, 
I don't know if you heard about Master So-and-so. Of course I heard about Master So-and-so. <laughs> Everyone has. Yeah, where we get the entire setup of, like, the play or whatever it is. But if you do that in a book, then it just feels like you're telling us everything. And it doesn't feel, like, it's, it doesn't feel very natural. The only, yes, the only time a bit that would ever be natural when there's a lot of telling and dialogue would be when there's, like, a teacher-student situation. Mm-hmm. Or, like, the newcomer. And so someone's explaining this is how it works here, and the newcomer must know the information. Mm-hmm. And even then, that can be done yeah, elegantly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. One thing that I that I struggled on was the Nordstroms in general, because it takes until about page seven for us to actually see the Nordstroms do anything one hundred percent that we know is mean. Like that, I read it and went, "Wow, that's mean." And before that, we get conversation between Sissem Willem and Willem's like, "Oh boy, I wish the Nordstrom boy had like drowned." I mean, he doesn't really say that, but that's kind of the message that comes across and it made me not feel very sympathetic towards Willem because until that point, all I knew about the Nordstrom's was that they were rich and supposedly that they had done some teasing and were mean, but I wasn't sure that I believed the main characters yet because we were getting it all in telling and nothing in showing. I actually agree. I feel like we got a whole lot of telling about the Nordstrom's and how awful they are. And then the Nordstrom's actually show us that they are awful, like yeah. within just one paragraph. And then they tell us again how awful the Nordstrom's are when I would have been okay just with that showing. So maybe... Like as advice, you the author of this segment compare it down. I think that this chapter has lots of good language, but perhaps it, it's being weighed down by the slowness of what's happening and the telling. And so, I think that this chapter can be pared down to a couple paragraphs. So I mentioned that there were things that I really liked about the language, but I think some of the metaphors sounded nice, but I wasn't really sure what they meant. And so, just I kind of feel like some of the detail was there without actually serving a purpose. And generally, the goal is to make any detail given serve two purposes, especially. Yeah, rather than zero purposes. Another thing that I noticed was that we have a potential motivation or set of stakes is this goal to go to America. But it's presented first, like the very first thing you read. And then they kind of talk about all the stuff that like could happen or things that they would need to do to get there, which made me feel like the characters were really young. Because if you make a huge decision, like I'm going to move across the ocean away from my family, never to see them again, that is a a big decision to make. And so the fact that they approached it as we could go and it would be awesome. And like dad probably won't mind. We'll just have to make money and it'll be fine. That just seemed really young to me. And then we find out at the end of the chapter that she's 17. I, I had some promises that were kind of made that were not followed through on. Well, I think promises is a good thing to consider here. Cause like Aaron, you were saying earlier that it felt a little bit like a fantasy to you. And I mean, I'm not certain if they're actually going to end up going to America and that will be like the, crux of the story or if they're going to end up staying and having to make do i don't know i feel like at the beginning of a book you generally need to know what sort of book you're going to get into and i'm not certain i know that from this chapter someone's told me that every book you read the first sentence the first sentence should sum up the book almost or it should be kind of a tall um, order there yeah <laughs> it is it is a really tall order but it, in a way if you start reading first lines of books you'll see that it kind of works out so what i found interesting is the first line of this book is hesitation melted like a snowflake on my palm and i felt to some extent the chapter is full of hesitation the author needs to press forward and get to the, get to the action mm. a little faster and so um i did think though that the character felt a little young in some time in some places and didn't feel like a 17 year old and so that might be something to consider is thinking about the age of your character and if it's matching the voice of the storytelling I was just saying, I wonder if I wonder if some of that had to do with because we do get the we're going to America very early on, which is a great detail to drop early. But I'm wondering if, for the sake of doing that, that we got the decision making reversed, and so maybe because the more the more natural, maybe maybe we're 
I'm being very speculative and possibly prescriptive here. But the more natural maybe way to do it is you say, is, well, are we going to America? What would this mean? And they discuss everything and then have, okay, we're going. Rather than the like other way around. Like of what happens. Right. right. Rather than what we have now. I'm just on a prescriptive roll today. It feels to me like, 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 stay with me here though. Like, like, what if the chapter is just in a completely reverse order? Like, what if it started out with getting knocked on the ice and that leads to the discussion we need to get out of here and ends with the declaration we're going. I don't know. Sorry. That that's, that's, we're not supposed to do that. I guess it depends person. on what the story is <laughs> yeah, going to be. Yeah, it depends on what, how yeah. the story is going. That yeah. is interesting though, but I have always read that. I mean, I always feel like scenes should be active or reactive. And usually a book starts with an active scene. And so the character can then have a reactive moment and then decide where they want to go, which leads them to another active scene. And so I, I felt there was, for a first chapter, this felt very reactive instead of active. I would just mm. encourage the author to make. I think everything. I think everything in it is reactive. We have we have the declaration. I'm going to America, which is reactive to something that we haven't seen. Yeah. And then we have we're going to get firewood. Reactive to their poor circumstance. We get knocked on the ice. Reactive to them being around. I'm not going to do anything about it. Reactive to they can make my life worse. I do have to say, like as a writer, though, this is my tendency is to write to start a book in a reactive scene because it kind of sets the stage for me, and I get to know the characters through the reactive scene. And then I usually cut it. <laughs> and then I get right to the action scene. Well, there are so many books. Or, like, I think that's a new writer thing. Or not even a new writer thing. It's just, it's a, just writer a first thing. It's, like, yeah, as you're rough. writing, you just end up cutting, like, your first Everything. or two or three chapters <laughs> yeah. sometimes. We are going to wrap up this portion of the podcast. Please remember to check us out on Twitter at Lit Service or on Facebook and Instagram as Lit Service Podcast. We have lots of fun ways for you to meet other authors who are currently querying so you can network and commiserate. We also hope you'll check out our newly hatching forum where you can chat about your work or find critique partners or writing group members. If you'd like to look at today's submission with all of our notes, it will be available on our website, litservice.wixsite.com slash litnation. All of our past episodes are also available to listen to as well. And if you enjoyed this episode, please give us a star rating and a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you find your podcast. It helps others to find the show. Tune in to our next podcast to find out who our next industry professional guest for April will be for Lit Service. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.